Exactly. I think when, like, especially restaurants that have global menus or, like, you know, they talk about, like, oh, yeah, I, I cook with international flavors. I'm like, well, maybe because maybe it's a seasonal menu. So maybe you could say this season I took inspiration from Syria mm-hmm. and this is what I liked about it and this is why my menu reflects this. <laughs> Hi, Dropouts. Welcome back. This is Crystal. And Stacy. And today uh, we have a very special guest with us. Um, it is Amira. Amira is one of my nearest and dearest. We actually are dropping this episode in tandem with the YouTube cooking show. Um, so if you are able to, um, after you listen to this, because we're wonderful, want to go and watch the actual cooking portion of this, um, please go to YouTube and watch it and give us a thumbs up. Um, But without further ado, I will let you introduce yourself, Amira. Oh, okay. Hi, y'all. So I'm Amira. I am, let's see, I'm a chef. And Stacy and I have known each other for like over a decade and a half. I am a, like, I guess like uh, life just happened and I turned into a chef. I've always loved cooking. And one day during the pandemic, I got a prompt to apply to Top Chef Amateurs. And I was like, what is this? Is this a scam? But then I ended up applying, going on the show, ended up winning. And now I teach around town and do pop-ups and talk shit about colonizers and talk about Asian food. I know. I love it. I love it so much. Um, Amira and I, I'll have to show you some glow up pictures because Amira and I used to like cook and bake. She was always the cook. I was always the baker and she would cook. um, We cook like Pinterest things. Okay. Pinterest was like, yeah, right. It was like really big back then. So we cooked Pinterest things um, and I would bake. And yeah, it was just the difference of like what we made then versus now is amazing. Everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah, I know. Those bell pepper cups. (laughs) Stuffed bell peppers. (laughs) Um, So I just want to do like a quick like get to know you and ask you some questions. um, And then hopefully that can entice folks to want to go watch the cooking show. Yeah, we're very fun people. For sure. Crystal mostly. (laughs) Crystal just makes me laugh. So it's great. But you guys have the best (laughs) facial expressions. They're so good. I'm just like, yeah. I don't know. Yep. I don't know what Stacey just did. But I was like, girl, get it together. Just with her eyes. Oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah Stacey, probably. Me. Maybe too much spice there. Maybe too much spice. <laughs> but it turned out great. It turned out great. It always does. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you talked a little bit about this during the pandemic, but I know that it was before then that you started cooking. So how did you get like into, and I put I put into into like air quotes, but how did you like realize that cooking was your passion? And um, and it'll be like a three part. So have you always enjoyed it? And then if not, uh, why and what changed? You know, how did you get into cooking? I'm just waiting for Stacy to ask you to respond in a star <laughs> format. Please keep like like in an actual interview. <laughs> I know. I always say I'm informal, but y'all, I'm so uptight. <laughs> Dude, you you have a really good podcast voice. Like, I just realized, yeah, Stacey's got that NPR, like, today we have. <laughs> yeah. And on today's episode. Well, I guess that's good. I'm using some of my assets. 
Yeah, you should. So cooking. I pretty much grew up in kitchen. So I say that because both my parents, like we were a two income household. So both my parents were at work. At least my mom was at work till at least three to 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. She was a teacher. But after the kids left, obviously she had a lot of admin work to do. So I would be in the kitchen with our cook while she would cook. She would have me sit next to her and do my homework. So pretty much like I watched her would like, and then living in Bangladesh, being a third world country, all the things were from scratch. Also, she was a cook. We had hired her as a cook. So I guess the expectation was she would make everything from scratch. So I would watch her do all these things. And it always very, always fascinated me and how she knew what flavors to put and how to do it. And obviously, she didn't have a book. She would always do it from memory. So I think that played a big role in it. And then while I loved food, being in Bangladesh, I didn't cook too much. I baked every now and then because I was the life of leisure kid who had to cook, so I didn't have to cook, right? It's it's the norm in South Asia, honestly. Everybody's got to cook. Part-time, full-time, live-in, whatever. Anyway, so, and after I moved to America, I had to cook for myself, and I had to start from scratch. And as much as I loved it, like, I always at the back of my mind growing up like South Asian body image issues was a huge thing for me right like uh, it was drilled into my head that you know people wouldn't like the opposite sex wouldn't want to be with me because I'm a big girl and like that like really like burned into my brain you know by every member of my family like literally everybody right so even when at some point I knew I was good my friends would tell me like in my mid-20s people would tell me that Amiri oh my god you're so good you should do something I did it I got the opportunity I got a couple of prompts for MasterChef I never applied because I I I couldn't stand the thought of watching myself on TV and I think the um the lens that I was viewing myself through was so much harsher than what everybody else would view me through but like that's all I could think about so after a long time of therapy (laughs) and learning to love myself Mm -hmm. and the pandemic the, the, the opportunity just the opportunity just like showed up and I was like you know what take me as I am hate me, love me, whatever. I finally learned to love myself and that's enough. So I ended up applying. And I guess when you open yourself up to the world, you know, things happen. So that's exactly what happened to me. Cooking was something, food was something that I was ashamed of. And now I feel like my ability to cook and feed people is kind of like my superpower. I love that. I think coming from an Asian household myself too, like that is something that is difficult, right? Right. There's something about... um just how you look that is very specific. And if you don't fit in that mold, typically they have no problem telling you right. uh, that that is wrong or bringing it up. And I think especially the culture that we grew up in though too, in like the 90s and the 2000s when skinny heroin chic was like in, yes. there's no way, you know what I mean? And so um, kudos to you because it's hard to just like put it yourself is. out there. Now look, now at, look you. at you. You're, You're a boss. Just like making people proud of their yeah their bodies and their food yeah and 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 thanks for sharing that story because we you know crystal and i are very are strong proponents of therapy and going to therapy and finding yourself Mm -hmm. and finding your you know learning how to heal from all of that because i I feel like we don't we haven't had a chance to really heal from our childhood trauma and so that is something that i am just i'm very proud to hear you talk about it and like be proud of yourself for that um, because I think it what it's what makes you too, right? It's like part of your identity and cooking is yeah. part of your identity and being able to enjoy it, right? It, it, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Like cooking for myself, while it is hard because 
it's just hard because <laughs> you know it's yourself it's hard to be like sh- it's hard to show love to yourself so some days I have to like sit my butt down and be like no you're gonna make yourself a lovely meal a couple of days ago I actually on Friday I had a meeting and I had a couple hours in between I went and got myself some steak frites spent like 70 bucks on myself just enjoyed a nice meal and took myself out and you know I would find it hard to do that before like spend money on myself and like be like oh you know it's frivolous but it's not I I had a wonderful time and I didn't I I was surprised I didn't even pick up my phone I just sat there stared out the window slowly ate my steak frites and my mocktail (laughs) got hit on by two lovely (laughs) ladies and I was like oh nice thanks it's a good it's a good date for yourself yeah exactly I always say you should date yourself. Say yeah. Let's talk about I that. Usually, no, go ahead. Say so always says it's uh, to be alone, yeah. but not lonely. To be alone, but yeah. lo- you know? lonely. And I like to go, uh, when I date myself, I go out to eat and take a book or like listen to a book on tape because I'm just like, oh, this is like the only time I'm getting to myself and like do I need to do, I always overdo it, right? So I need to do all the things that make me happy at once. Um <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to drink my margarita, have my tacos, and my book. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. So can you tell us a little bit, you kind of talked about it, but can you tell us a little bit about your favorite part of cooking? And like, what do you enjoy most about cooking now? I think making people feel something with my cooking uh, is what I enjoy the most. Uh, A lot of people, like, sometimes people describe, like, my food as a hug, you know, and I think that's the biggest compliment anybody can ever give me. I had a friend who was... Uh, photographing me and then I saw her turn away while she was eating the food that like we photographed the food right but then I made a plate for everybody and she had turned away and I just thought you know whatever but later she texted me and told me that she had a really rough week and that my food made her cry because it felt so warm and inviting and loving and there's you know that's all I can say that's my favorite part uh, so yeah that's really sweet I definitely feel that too about food like there's something about like a home cooked meal. Like it doesn't matter how like angry or upset you are. Like if you give me like a home cooked meal, it's the best. (laughs) It is. I think people take it for granted too sometimes until like you just don't realize you don't, you miss it until you get it, especially when you're having those hard times. It's, I think one of the best compliments, right? Is when we can do work that we love that makes other people feel loved and validated as well. And I love that because we don't always get to do that. You know, my my work definitely doesn't validate me. I code ads for big corporations <laughs> to pay my <laughs> nine to five, right? So yeah, I enjoy making people feel love. I <sighs> don't hate me and my family if you're listening to this, but like sometimes I felt that a lot that the love that I did, I think the love that I didn't feel, I try to show people that like, you know, that this is how it feels to be loved. And I think I overtly do it <laughs> a little too much. But yeah. I don't think you can do too much, Amira. Yeah, more of that. for sure. And I feel like it's you treat people how you want to be treated right so if you are yeah. you know if you're doing these things for yourself and how you want to be treated you you, you do them for other people right i like that do you let other people cook for you or are you usually like i'll do i'll do the cooking no i love it when people cook for me honestly it's rare that they do because a lot of people like some of my friends are like oh i didn't cook for you because i felt uh, like i thought you would judge me i was like uh, what no i i would never they're like my food won't be good enough for you i was like no i i, I love it when i can attest to me. that i feel yeah. like if i i would be so 
I would be like, oh my God, no, I think I would have too much anxiety and like just start sweating. And I would just probably go get something from takeout and put it on plates because I would, I don't know. I don't know if I could handle like the standards. But I would never, you never, you know, I would never say like, Stacy, this is terrible, but it won't because you made it with love. You love me so much. I mean, I know. But you have to be honest too. <laughs> this oh is this is not the best, but you tried. tried. You tried, sweetie. You tried so hard. You only get better with practice, right? The next time you come, Amira, um, Stacey and I should cook for you, and then you, yeah. you can. Well, <laughs> actually, it'll be the first time I come because I haven't come to visit Stacey. Oh, not to visit me to I do know. other things. Roll around. <laughs> Other things, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. My producer's gonna tell me. I know. I was wondering if you were able to talk about that. Uh, I guess now that it's over, I guess. Top secret. You heard it here first. Uh, uh, I mean, oh god, I don't know. <laughs> we'll just say, we'll just say, we Amira was it. in town um, to do business. And she was not able to tell me. Well, yeah, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell Stacy why I was there. It was very ominous. And she's I'm like, like, why where are you are in Portland? You? And I'm Who like, are you with? And she like, like couldn't tell me. So I was so mad. I so, was like, and you're not visiting me? Like, can I take you coffee? Can I do like, can something? That's because when Amira was talking about your relationship for 17 years, you were like, yeah, with Jason. <laughs> that's why she didn't you. It's like, it's now like, I know oh, how you feel mind. about me. I'm not telling you Jack. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I mean, it was it was in the pandemic. I got dropped off after I got I got done conducting my business at the airport about four hours before my flight. I don't know what they were thinking, but I was like, all right. So I had time to kill it. I was like, Stace, don't ask any questions. Come to the airport. She's like, what? <laughs> And I was like, right now? And I was like, okay, this is great. Because it's like right before I have to go pick up Marcella. Like, okay. Like, thankfully, I didn't have any meetings that day. (laughs) I know it was meant to be. And just we like masked up. And just like sat across each other. Like with two or three seats between us. And just talked to each other. I'm like just imagining getting that phone call. Just being like, at that airport? PDX? Yeah, totally. You want me to go into the airport? Okay, I guess. I mean, (laughs) and it was pandemic, right? So it's like we were craving connection. And I'm like, oh my God, you're here. And we had been talking previously a lot. And like I disappeared (laughs) for a couple of weeks and she's like, where are you? What are you doing? And I was like, I'm okay. I'm alive. She's like, you're not in Austin. And I was like, no. "No." But (laughs) also, if if it wasn't like, if it wasn't Stacy, I don't think I would have even done it because Mm -hmm. like Stacy so near and dear to my heart to know that she's like 20 minutes away from me and I can't see her so in the pandemic that's sweet that's so wild right how was that filming during the pandemic like how was that experience because that's like such a crazy time and then you're also doing this crazy thing like filming for a tv show right and it was the first time ever i've never done that before so obviously um it was interesting they were they were very very good they were very good about like protecting everybody getting tests done and all the stuff and they had a track record of nobody catching covid there were so many people in the production nobody got covid like they were very proud of that and they tried to do their best to keep up with it um i was warned ahead of time like you know that I would have to be isolate and all that stuff. So I was they prepared me well 
is what I'm going to say. We had um, a psychologist on, on staff and everything to help us through it. So now that I, I needed it, I have my own therapist. So, but yeah. But just in case, <laughs> I right? love mine. Yeah, just in case. Because the, I'm sure it, for some people, like being alone, isolated, away from your family. I think they were also treading on, on you know, untreaded territory. Nobody's done mm-hmm. that before. The whole hotel, I don't think anybody else but the Top Chef crew and team was on in there. Nobody else. Is that where on. you filmed too? Was so that have... in the kitchen or did you go somewhere else? Uh, no, the kitchen was uh, in one of the, uh, 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 I think it was at the stadium. Uh, oh, like the Moda taken over. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it was huge. Like what you see on TV, it makes it feel like, okay, biggish, but in person, huge. it is humongous. Yeah. Because, like, you have to have camera people moving around, right? So you have to give them that space. Like, the center of the kitchen is just camera folks. So you can't walk through that. So, yeah. It was a lot of equipment that I was just, like, if I had more time in there, I'd be, like, nerding out. But I had no time. I was like, I got to do this. I got to win this. Like, ah. Can you... So stressful. so stressful. Can you talk to us about like what that process is like to like figure out what meal you're going to make? Yeah. So the prompt goes, right? So the prompt goes and I'm like in my head. Um. So I don't know about other people, but I prepped for this thing because in my head, I was like, this might be the only chance I ever get to go on TV and show off my skills and also talk about Bangladeshi food and like Bangladeshi flavors, right? So I had been practicing because I, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to walk into like a white person's woke mm-hmm. kitchen. Like that's all I put put in my head right because they're not going to have the spices that I grew up with not my kitchen so there's a lot of things that I needed to learn how to make from scratch if I wanted to put my flavors out there right so I've been practicing and doing all these other things at home and when the prompt came all I could think about is like because it was such a short time and I had to make two dishes in an hour right Uh, one savory one sweet and I'm like what do I do so the first thing came to me I was like these people are chefs I need a protein that cooks fast Mm -hmm. and I and like I and that's what I went for I went for lamb lamb chops they're small they cook fast they take on flavor and so I just went for that and then in I'm a really bad baker I cannot bake to save my life. So I was like, what do I do? And I'm like, okay, I, I've done, I, I can make rice porridge. I just have to make it mm. sweet. I can make a rice pudding. So that's what I ended up doing. I made rice pudding and I made lamb chop and put my Bengali twist on it. And I was like, fast, fast cooking. Most like, you know, flavor explosion, like smack their faces. <laughs> That's in my head, like, and I wasn't. They kept asking me, "Are you worried about your opponent?" I was like, "I don't know them. I don't care. I just know me. I just know my flavors. She can do whatever she wants to do." What did they make? (laughs) Yeah, for sure, they made uh like a mole uh, with Mm. chicken thighs Mm, and rice because the secret ingredient was chocolate. Okay, and obviously, like the first thought in my head, mole, and then I was like, Mm -hmm. "Well, but that that is the first thought anybody would have because like mainstream." If you think you're in Texas, especially mole, obviously that's going to be my go-to. In my head, at first, I did think of doing like a mole-esque sauce with the garam masala lamb chop on it. But then, because I wasn't thinking about chocolate in powdered form. Mm. And then when I walked over and saw the cocoa powder and all that stuff, I was like, okay, no, no, good. I can have it. Because in my head, when you say chocolate, I think bars. But when I walked up to the whole plethora of the diversity of chocolate, cocoa powder, I was like, boom, done. Yeah. And can you explain to us a little bit about like, you talk a lot about Bengali flavors um, and being from South Asia. And like, what does that mean to you? Like, what does that, what does that flavor profile mean? to you and like really talking about it to our listeners in a way like it's going to make their mouth 
Earth's water. Um. Well, okay. I mean, I guess it's a little bit nuanced. It's not just like one straight. So Bengali flavors, like by itself, it's separated from the rest of South, the Indian subcontinent, would be the predominance of fish, fish mm. and mustard flavors, right? Those are like the two predominant things, but that's oversimplification. Bangladesh was an abundant uh, land and we have a lot of grains. So rice is a big thing. Um, so which is why the British rice right and so after the british left uh we were east pakistan we weren't even bangladesh so we had to give like grains to pakistan as well right because we were it's bangladesh is a delta so it's a very fertile land so grains go really well over there so having i guess like giving things to other people like their bounty to other countries and other people around it bangladesh food at, at its core is very humble all at the same time it's also very rich because of the Mughal in, uh, inspiration, like the biryanis, like the like, you know, it's a whole production, like to make a biryani for weddings. Like if you ever go to a Bengali wedding, like, oh, my God, the fragrance, you can't stop. You're just like, I just here for the food. Forget everybody else. Good job getting married. But like, we're here for the food because like such an affair, such a show off thing to like have good food at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And like. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of both because of, of so many people that have passed through Bangladesh, so many influences. Um, and South Asia in general, I'm very, I uh, guess, passionate about people knowing the diversity of the food there because more often than not people just think curry curry and i'm like okay mm-hmm. if you if you talk to somebody from south asia nobody even calls it a curry now you know popular speak we call it a curry here and there but to me the fact that people think curry is a spice because somebody told me oh my mom's allergic to curry i was like what like i, I couldn't like i couldn't understand what they were saying to me i'm like are you saying they're allergic to turmeric <laughs> or anything of that sort because oftentimes everybody in america thinks there's turmeric in every curry i'm like no 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 sweetie there isn't yes i guess you guys now have discovered turmeric but hold your horses it is not in everything it has very good medicinal property and like it's used for your skin for inflammation for all the things and these are ancient medicinal things so thank you but no thank you don't tell me you're like i already knew that even during the pandemic like this washington post article came up, out about how like curry is a spice and this guy was like how could an entire subcontinent like have one dish only and i'm like this is crazy <laughs> like i mean why who hired this person hmm. like do you not do research washington post really y'all like mm-hmm. nobody fact check this man before you publish such ridiculous things it was bad and like padma Lakshmi and all these people were like, you know, of course, everybody's like... (laughs) Yeah, for Let us mm-hmm. tell you what it is. I feel very passionate about that and knowing like the difference of like North, like the North Indian cooking, South Indian cooking, Bengali cooking, Pakistani, like the differences, right? Like it, it is so diverse. It is diverse beyond people's like imagination. But because we are so used to th- hearing about curry, you're just like, oh yeah, I, I love me some curry. Curry is my favorite food. I was like, no, no, stop. I think that's so true. Like Asian, just Asian cultures and like just, when you talk about Asian dishes, people don't realize what that really means there are so many countries and so many cultures and so many languages that fall under that category but everyone's like oh it's like rice and then like oh maybe then you have like some you know southeast asian flavors and that's it no there's like so much that you're just not aware of 
yeah from sour flavors yes. to savory like you just don't even know um so yeah it's wild one of my biggest ick is on a menu is uh, an asian salad mm-hmm. <laughs> like what the hell is an asian salad did you just put an entire continent in a salad i'd like to see that you know and it's, and, an, right. it's usually an, <laughs> Asi- an asian crunch salad or chopped salad right oh yeah of course. and you're like oh, oh my cause... god and it's like what yeah. cabbage and carrots <laughs> with miso yeah Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With some like with the crunchy bits, with the crunchy, 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 like, crunchy yeah, bits. Yeah, yeah. Yes, wonton, crunchy wontons. The wontons. Yeah, it's Asian. Yeah. Wow. Asian. Oh my god. Like. I, I went up to a Wolf, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant at, at like Singapore because it was like fancy. And I walked up to it and it's in, in Singapore, right? And this mm-hmm. man has an Asian salad in the Singaporean, like, and I was just like, oh, I'm going back to the hawker station over there. <laughs> That's my peep. Thank you very much. You're like, who is this salad for? Like, who is your target audience with this? Because it's well, not the Asian no. folks. Yeah. That's for sure, right? Yeah. It's, it's not. Like, well, yeah. well and can you talk a little bit about like what it was like for the difference in the foods that you were so used to at home? And then you, when you came to America, what, ha- like what happened and like, what were you eating and what did you, what did you find? Like, I want to know what you found like really good, right? And then what you found like mm-hmm. completely disturbing. Well, like the Indian restaurants in Austin, there's like next to nothing. I think I took uh, Stacy to this one place called Shalimar. <laughs> that place got shut down due to rats. I think one point. <laughs> right. That was that was the state of South Asian food in Austin when I moved here. Right. To get big Bengali flavors, I had to visit uh, Mexican markets, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and fiestas and all all my all my other brown people because i'm just like i can't find anything at these hebs as much as i love yeah, we love hebs right i couldn't when i when we when i moved here we didn't like eventually they started putting some stuff in there but there was nothing and i felt like very at home in atakurea like just the communalness of it the rice and the roti mm-hmm. the tortilla of it all right and like i and it took the, a long time in, in austin too to have the diverse like asian uh, restaurants like the east asian southeast Asian, uh, all of that, and once that started popping up, I I could find my ingredients there. So I still don't have my Bengali ingredients. Uh, ingredients more often than not, I'm visiting like a fiesta and then um, local Asian market to get like all my ingredients. And I use a lot of Southeast Asian ingredients in my cooking to get to that bang- Bangladeshi flavor. I have to sub it to in order to get it. Like I said, like when I eat like Mexican food and Tex-Mex. It makes feel that like is the hug like, that everyone yeah. needs to yeah. experience in their exactly. lives, at least one. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, and I, and I, and my Spanish is not that great. But I love it when when like mm-hmm. tias and abuelas speak to me in Spanish, and I'm like, oh yeah, hi, yes, I, I know you, but I don't. But thank oh, you. speak to you in Spanish, not Mexican. <laughs> oh yes, sorry, in Mexican. Sorry, my bad. I did. I forgot the terminology. We- Mm-hmm. Yeah. How could you forget, Amira? It's so important. Just like like my Arabian, I was like, okay, okay thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I was on the phone and like being Muslim, I think my mom had said something to me, and I said, inshallah. And some uh, like a military man or somebody, he was ex army or whatever, heard me, and he's like, your Arabian is really good. Arabian, <laughs> Arabian, <laughs> like a Caribbean, like Caribbean. Yeah, Oh, my Arabic? Oh, yes. Thank you. Like, yes. that I only said one word in Arabic. And everything else in Bengali. Like, it was so good. I it was so good. Like, oh, my God. You did such a good job learning your own mother tongue. Oh, my God. Thanks. Thanks, boy. <laughs> He's like, that's the only word I know, too. And, like, right? my Arabian is, like, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> we should meet more often. 
We could practice together. Oh, God. People are so silly. Oh, my gosh. And they have the audacity. I love it. <laughs> I wish I did, too. <laughs> The caucasity, that's what it is. So so Tex-Mex <laughs> is one of your favorite dishes. And so what did you find like to be completely like what like completely different? Like I wouldn't you don't have to say yeah, shocking. shocking. Just like completely shock like culture complete culture shock. I mean coming to America is like culture shock, but like um, what is in food? I think in food, I think the the food culture in itself was a shock, if that makes sense. The the prevalence of how much fast food we ate in America was very shocking to me. How much people went out to eat in a week was very shocking to me because coming from Bangladesh, like going out to eat was an occasional thing. Like it's, it's a celebration. That's why we're going out. Like growing up, it was never like a random Sunday. We're going out to get something. No, it's always eating at home. And then eventually my parents, I think when their disposal income got more, we would go get this place called American burger, but there's nothing American about this burger. Let me tell you, maybe the, the, like the melty cheese, but they like used to charboil the the beef patties and they tasted more like kebabs mm. than they did like in America. But I I loved those. My stomach got upset every time I ate those. <laughs> <laughs> But we would get American burgers, and then when it was a celebration, we would go, like, get, like, Bengali Chinese. It was never, like, proper Chinese, like, but also Bengali Chinese is its own cuisine because of presence of, like, Chinese tribes, uh, Kohaka, um, in Calcutta or Kolkata that is next to Bangladesh, right? So, and like the Silk Roads, the trades, that, and that, is, that in itself is another cuisine. But true Chinese cuisine, we didn't have it until like much, much later because we were just so okay with like eating Indo-Chinese or Bangla Chinese. Um, and that culture in itself, like how much time that we don't have, I guess the luxury of having help in Bangladesh and not having it here was a very like, I felt like I didn't know how people could do it. I would be so tired in the day. I didn't want to cook for myself. Also, I didn't have money. I would buy like off cuts of meat, the cheapest cut I could find, chicken wings. That was cheap. I think I remember buying for like three bucks back in the day and like adding my own like Bengali flavors to it and cook it for a long time to get that tenderness to it. So which is what made me really good at braises, which is what I do now a lot. So yeah. That's why fast food sometimes it's the cheaper, fastest option. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. It also like shows how much fast food we have in like I guess um lower income neighborhoods like you know it's mm-hmm. like yeah okay you like they're working two jobs to pay for their stuff for their kids for school and everything and by the time you come home working two jobs you don't have time you just buy that fast food and that also feeds into like the unhealthiness of it all um even like with food stamps i think back in the day i I don't think there was a lot allotted for fresh fruit it was mostly like trans fat and saturated fat that was like on the food stamps that you were allowed to get right the food culture culture. i remember growing up with food stamps and we would it would definitely be like a lot of processed foods or like for my family was Mm -hmm. rice and beans and flour so we would have to get because those are staples but also like I remember one time going to the grocery store and I really wanted grapes and my mom was like we can't afford those and I'm like I really want green grapes <laughs> so now y'all I buy so many green right. grapes and I'm just like eating them until my belly hurts <laughs> yes. I know Making her wine, eating her green grapes. I know. No, 100%. And I think it's the same with Native American Mm. folks because they were kept away from the Native crops and grains. And that's how fry bread came about because I think they were just given wheat and flour. They're like, do with it well, you what you will. And, you know, 
that's the same uh the obesity level and also like the unhealthy foods and the crazy food prices like oh my god and which is also why i love talking about food because it leads you into so many topics about like healthiness about colonization about (laughs) people like keeping people away from their native lands and foods and all that stuff so when a white chef picks up labne and tahini and they're like oh my god look and i'm just like no i get it it is i'm not gatekeeping but when you don't do anything from that culture that you borrowed from it's like no i'm not about it does it annoy you a little bit when you see other people cook um these dishes and don't really talk about where they came from or or even like even allude to it a little bit they don't have to go into specifics right but just like at least mention something about it definitely i think when like especially restaurants that have global menus or like you know they talk about like oh yeah i I cook with international flavors i'm like well maybe because maybe it's a seasonal menu so maybe you could say this season i took inspiration from syria Mm -hmm. and this is what i liked about it and this is why my menu reflects this it doesn't have to be a lot just a little bit because i think a lot of people while they eat these foods that they used to be like oh this is smelly food growing up like you know like all the asian kids that used to go to school in america and would open up their lunch boxes and be get the you know uh the stinky look like oh you guys are stinky oh that's uh, food smells but now they're like all about it all about that kimchi Mm -hmm. all about like the lumpia Mm -hmm. and all that stuff right Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no, you don't get to do that. If you don't actually learn about the culture and about the people that the food that you're eating, you can't take the food and be like, poo-poo. No, that's no, right? My particular uh, peeve is when people say it's a clean Asian flavor. So you're implying that Asian people cooking is not clean, but a white person cooking Asian food is. I see it in food competitions all the time that the person who is native to they're making it, but they don't like it. But when the white person makes it, they're like, oh, you made it more palatable for us. Sweetie, my food is not to be made palatable for you my food stands on its own if you can't handle that's your problem yeah it's not for you then yeah i think language is so important people don't realize the power Mm -hmm. of words they're like oh i i I never took it that way and you're like well yeah but maybe yeah think about it right and how that would look on the flip side it's interesting you said that though because the other day i was trying to figure out how to i was just like um i wanted to it was like a a a thai food so i was like looking for a recipe to figure out how could i recreate something like that at my house and it's so interesting because you can't find like i wanted like an authentic kind of version to it so i'm like looking for recipes and you cannot it's like okay well this is an authentic whatever and you look down and it's it's you're like no okay so the person who made this is not even shelly johnson from it's like jennifer Wisconsin. Yeah, totally. And you're like, yeah. maybe Jennifer Wisconsin knows, but looking at the ingredient list, I just don't yeah. think so. No, I have to try. I have to uh, search really hard sometimes to find that. And um, a little like for me, so barta, the word, the the dish barta in Bangladesh is very prevalent. Barta just means like to smash, right? So um, you can have like an egg barta, shrimp barta, potato barta, anything. You can make a barta out of anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so whenever I Google a barta recipe, guess whose barta recipe comes up? Jennifer Nigella Lawson. <laughs> no, Nigella Lawson with her fish sticks barta. Like, listen, fish sticks oh barta. Yeah, like 
Fish sticks part that is delicious, but it is a Bengali thing that a Bengali person like who lived in London came up with. Because uh, fun fact, most of the Indian restaurants in London are owned by Bangladeshi people. Most of the Indian restaurants in New York is owned by Bangladeshi people. We went to, if you ever go to London, go to, I think it's Brick Road or something like that. And you get to negotiate what you get to negotiate your meals. So all these Indian restaurants are out there and you get to go negotiate like what you can have. You can go to like one and be like, oh, I want like all of my beers paid with this meal for like, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. And they'll be like, "Mm, no, but you go to the next person and they say the same and they say, (laughs) sure. And you're like, it's so crazy. It's such an experience. I did that when we went to London to visit my friend Sarah Miles. It was a very cool experience. A fun fact, Brick Lane is a Bengali community. If you actually walk, Brick Lane is written in Bangla. Oh, cool. If you go through it, Brick Lane is written in Bangla. Right, yeah. There's a there's a story and like the story is called Brick Lane. It's about like this Bengali um, housewife and all the things, you know, typical husband, much older than her. So many barriers, like, you know, uh, I guess generational Mm -hmm. barriers and like all these expectations that she he had from a younger wife that was meant for an older generation and all that jazz. It's a really it's a a good book. The movie's okay. It's quite an old book, actually. But yeah, a lot of those places are owned by Bangladeshi people because mainstream, uh, mainstream folks, I guess, in the West don't understand Bengali food. So mm-hmm. they are forced to put Indian mainstream, like, or what the West knows, like sag paneer and like chicken tikka masala and butter chicken on the menu. And if you dig through it, and sometimes you'll see something like a fish and you're like, oh, this restaurant's Bengali, right? Because they, they'll put some stuff in there. So you immediately you're like, okay, I see you. I see you trying more often. And it's not only mainstream folks, like, you know, the Western folks' fault. It's our own people's fault because they'll walk by a Bangladeshi restaurant and be like, oh, I can make that at home. And they don't yeah. go in there, right? So it's not just that. Yeah, yeah people, we're, we're, That's what I feel we're about our own worst enemies. I'm like, mm-hmm. we are. my mom can make that. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. But also, those restaurants, I feel like also, try, because they're trying to make it, mm-hmm. it's not authentic to mm-hmm. what we know, right? Right. So it has been westernized or bastardized in a way where you're like that's not that's not what I want. If I want like traditional, right. I want a hug for my mom. I'm just gonna get it for my mom because I know it's true. Yeah. authentically. Yeah. I don't know about exactly. y'all, but Tex-Mex, um, y'all. I will never turn down a Tex-Mex place. <laughs> Even if I can cook right. it myself or go thing. or have my grandma yeah. cook it. Like I do not care. That's how I feel about Bengali Chinese or Indo Chinese. Cause I'm just like, if I see a Bangla Chinese restaurant, I'm like, yeah. I'm getting there. Thank you. I want my I want my fried rice with my short grade Bengali rice. Like the short mm-hmm. grade. Yeah, that's what I want. Um uh, but there is a really good place called Korai Kitchen in in, in uh, uh New York. And they do the mom it's a mom mother daughter duo and the mom cooks the food and it is going to oh, a mom's house. I love it. I, I'm so glad that we have come to a place where we can make space for those people to have that yeah. mom's for the people who don't like you know have their family in new york to go eat that you know um i'm happy that those spaces now are starting to exist oh that's such a good point amira like i think we forget about that too right yeah. as americans and the privilege that we have um and that how we need to support everyone um yeah. especially those who are i mean right. here in portland we have i think we have like i don't know how many vietnamese restaurants we have um but there's a ton i think there's a there's a list of mm-hmm. 
I don't know. There's always articles coming out about how many we have and like all the good ones and all of them are good and, you know, right. all of that. But we definitely yeah. have to take time to support our local businesses and local mom and pop shops because that's what that's what our country is. It's made from that. Yeah. And right. It's made on the backs of these folks. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. And middle class. But, you know, so, I'm not going to go yeah. there. This That's for another episode. Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> no, no. No. I mean, absolutely. You guys were saying like, you know, having to bastardize that flavor because you got to make money because you got to also support yeah. your your family so at some point you do have to do it funnily enough when i did my a pop-up in houston i had a couple of bengali friends come to visit uh, or like you know came and ate and so two of my girlfriends came and they they uh, they both married non-Bengali men, right? And as they were sitting down eating my food, they were both whispered to me. They're like, "Don't tell X Y Z's mom, but your food is better than hers." <laughs> I don't know. I think it is possible now as we where we stand to make those flavors, to make our mom's dishes, to make our grandma's dishes. And I'm glad that as a society that we are there. And I think people of color not making themselves feel small anymore and taking the space up to tell their story. I, I'm glad we're here. Um, a lot of people will tell you to stop or like, oh, that food is smelly. Um, right. And I'm just like, no, um, that's your problem, not yeah. mine. What's the difference between my food so, and your hard-boiled egg and your boiled, you know, broccoli? I know. <laughs> your, your tuna casserole? Your tuna casserole. <laughs> What's the difference here? Oh, my, flavor and yours doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yes, Crystal. Yes. With the brutal facts. I love it. But that oh story that you, just t- that you just shared, Amira, is like my um, – uh, my grandma, she didn't sell her tamales for a really long time until there was someone in the yeah. community that was selling them. And they were like, we don't like hers. We like yours. <laughs> and so we were like, yes, Nana, like we'll help you make them. And so it came, it became like a whole thing. We like, like went over to help her make them. She would yeah. have them like pre, um, pre-ordered from some guy who really loved them. Yeah. And like he would buy like six dozen, seven dozen tamales, right? And then she was like, oh, I don't think I'm making enough money. And I was like, increase your prices. Like, and then we would always see what the other lady was doing because we always knew that if that other lady whose tamales weren't that good, right? You give the people what they want. If they weren't that good and she was increasing her prices, you got to increase yours because they're good. They're worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Like a friendly competition. A hundred percent. Also, like a different topic, but same-ish. When I write menus, I, I don't like dumb my stuff down. I don't write the English things for it. I write my Bengali names for it. And on the bottom, I describe it in, in English. But hey, if you can say Kokova, you can say Kitchery. You can say like proper stuff like, you know, Murg um, Makni, which is butter chicken. You can learn to say it. You can say Kokova. You can say all these other other things. Yeah, and they're never gonna, you're never going to learn if, right, we dumb it down for totally. you. Totally. So yeah. Like- you know, but like uh, European flavors are like so like, you know, sophisticated. I'm like, tell me how my flavors in my curry. <laughs> guys, you can't see it. I'm putting quotation marks. In my curry, please tell me. Teach. Let's go. Let's have a like cook off. Let's see if you can make the fl- layers of flavors like I can. No. Don't tell me that my Asian food, my Indian food is cheap because, yeah, you know, they should be cheaper. But a result or steak frites is so much mm-hmm. more money. Mm, bleep mm-hmm. off. <laughs> bleep That's off. It, bleep off. Oh my gosh. 
Um, well, I know we're coming up to time, but Amira, one question for you is if we do find ourselves in a Bengali restaurant, what is one thing that you would tell us that we should definitely order? The fish. Whatever the fish is, you should definitely order that. And definitely ask the person who whose restaurant it is, what is their favorite thing on the menu? Because um, more often than not, the favorite thing on the menu is probably really <laughs> delicious. It might be out of a person's comfort zone because they are not native to that land right so but it would definitely be their favorite if it would if, if it wasn't their favorite it wouldn't be like the best dish right so they take the time and the love to make it i would definitely say if you ever see a bharta on a bengali menu you should definitely get that um and a fish because uh, those are the love languages of Bangladesh. And then we have one uh, question that we like to ask all of our guests. And I know you kind of answered it in the cooking show, but can you talk to our uh, our audio audience a little bit about what the high life means to you? I think high life means to me like being yourself un- unapologetically, honestly. Just be who you are and let your freak frag fly, whatever it, it may be. You know, I am I might like throw people off by how much I am passionate about cooking and how much I like I talk about the injustices in the cooking world when it comes to like Asian flavors and not recognizing where things come from but you know I think that's how you make space so just being who you are and unapologetically yourself wearing that crop top do the thing you know don't let anybody tell you otherwise because I think we've spent a long time as women as brown women as big women hiding ourselves making ourselves small so just like let it all out (laughs) follow that dream tell everybody to bleep off and just do you I love it you never know where you're gonna end up exactly you never know and that's also the secret to life I think that's how my grandfather made it 100 (laughs) that's what I'm doing words Mm -hmm. to live by well thank you so much Amira I know you've probably spent at least eight hours with us from all of the different things that we have done probably more so many hours I wouldn't have spent those eight hours with anybody else oh my gosh we appreciate for having me please yeah of course um we're hoping to have her back to do like a whole hosting thing right dinner hosting oh yeah, yeah dinner party hosting i agree to that right it's gonna be an additional no, like five days no, i appreciate no honestly you guys i hope you put this in i appreciate you guys holding space for all these stories all these brown and beautiful stories that you guys hold space for all the things that people don't really talk about because having this space y'all y'all don't realize that what you're doing is having a safe space for people and letting their stories out and loving like giving them a platform to talk about it all is is a lot because I don't think I could go on a show and just say whatever's on my mind and I just did that here so good on you both for creating this for other folks for other women um I'm crying now (laughs) I think that goes back to what you said Amir is like you you never know where you'll end up and this is kind of where Stacey and I have ended up and we didn't even know you know but also we're just so blessed to have guests like you that are are willing to be vulnerable with us um, because it's a hard thing to do I know I know oh my god back it up As she as Crystal's wiping her face, she looks like she's going to cry. Jesus, Stacey, you're making my eyes. I can't because I do think Crystal, like (laughs) Crystal and I, didn't think about that, and it is something that I um, alluded to, like two or three guests in, and I was just like. 
this makes me feel so proud. And I hope that like more folks continue to come and want to be a guest and also want to share their stories and know that this is a safe place. And like, and knowing that like, if we are making people feel like they can talk about these things, like you were saying, like that makes me and not and even if they don't have to say anything to us, but if they want to go home and say like, I listen to this podcast, and it makes me feel like I should be talking about and sharing my experiences. Like I want I want that for people. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of people also don't realize that they need that catharsis of hearing another person talk about the same experience that they've had, but they've had to keep quiet because of I don't know, cultural norms, societal expectations, eh, we could go on about all these things right mm-hmm. so yeah well thank you Amira I think you're the first guest to make us cry so um you will hold that <laughs> title for forever um if you are listening just make sure that you go check out over on our YouTube we have the whole cooking segment with Amira watch Stacy and I uh try and do uh, together what Amira can do by herself and not as good but we we tried and Amira guided us through it and it is a fun time um we'll link that below we'll also link Amira's uh social media and all of her things below and if you would please share this with three of your very best friends um if they want to listen to it you don't have to mlm scheme them stacy already i did that for all of you thank you so much for letting me do that like i was not prepared to do that but i'm a good cold caller and i'm okay with rejection truly (laughs) she's the reason we are where we are so thank you so much again thank you amira we appreciate it so much thank you guys for having me i love you too i love you too crystal i will catch you next time Bye. bye Bye.